Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico. Got a great show for you this Thursday evening. It's September 22nd, and uh, looks like we're getting ready to wind down uh, another month here. We're first day of fall, I believe, actually, uh, today. So we're getting into those cooler uh, climates, if you will. Uh, even down here in Florida, it was a little bit cooler today than it has been uh, in previous uh, weeks. Um, but anyways, thank you for joining us tonight on Golf Talk Live. We're going to be starting off, of course, uh, with another great uh, round of Coach's Corner. I've got two great uh, professionals in the wings just waiting to come out here in just a moment. Uh, but first, let me remind everybody, of course, we are live every Thursday uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, unless otherwise stated, and that's 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast, and I believe 4 to 6 for those uh, under Pacific time. Uh, but we're glad you can join us live. And for those of you who are not able to join us live, uh, you can go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live, and uh, that takes you to the main page for, for uh, this program. And if you scroll down a little bit in the page, you'll see an on-demand section there. That's where all of the previously aired shows have been recorded. Uh, you can listen to it at your convenience if you're not able to join us live. But for those of you that have tonight, uh, we appreciate it always, and, and thank you, and I hope we have a good show tonight. Um, if you want to call in and speak to any of the guests or, or myself, you can do so at calling area code 646-716-4667, uh, or you can email questions or comments to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. Also, update every week on social media at Facebook. Uh, Golf Talk Live blog is the main page that I update on, as well as my own personal page. And you can also follow me on Twitter as well at Ted and Buck, CEO and CEOs in capital letters. Uh, later in the show, after Coach's Corner, I'm going to be uh, joined by my good friend, uh, Professional golf instructor Barry Goldstein is going to be joining me uh, from Florida as well, and uh, we're going to get it caught up with uh, sort of an old, uh, an old geezer's uh, show, if you will. Too old guy, I shouldn't say that. I'm only kidding. Um, Barry's going to be joining me, going to be updating me on uh, his daughter Carly Ray, who's uh, currently attending LSU uh, under a golf scholarship, and she's been playing for the last couple of years, I believe. I think this is year three. Uh, that should be playing on the women's golf team at LSU. So we'll talk to her a little bit, uh, um, or talk to him about her in a little while as well. But let me bring out the guys here. Uh, first up, of course, is Paul Castor. Uh, he's a golf coach as well as the director of instruction at Forsgate uh, Country Clubs up in New Jersey. And uh, Tony Brooks, uh, he's a PJ Master Professional. Uh, he's also had a professional background, which includes a successful tenure as a competitive golfer. Uh, and he was at the uh, uh, he was a, a former head professional whose career began at the apprentice uh, as an apprentice, excuse me, at the famed Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles, and he's out in Los Angeles tonight. Uh, guys, uh, welcome to uh, Coach's Corner and Golf Talk Live. Ted, thanks a lot Thank for having you, me. Thank you, Ted. I, I appreciate it. it, guys. 
thank you guys for uh, for giving of your time and and um so we got an east coast and a west coast and me down here in, in florida so i guess two east coasts against the west coast so we'll see how that goes tonight uh, but guys thank you uh, for joining me tonight um just a quick thought and we'll talk about what we were talking about off air just very briefly um i was i was mentioning about one of the ways that i think that the, the game really could grow and, and actually two ways um obviously with the, with the upsurge of a lot of women guys that have been playing golf uh, here over the last several years, that certainly has increased the, the golf numbers on that end. And I think the next progression is going to be family golf. Uh, as, as more and more women get in, um, you know, they're going to want to get the kids involved, of course, in different activities. And what a great opportunity for not only the PGA and LPJ uh, to, to tap in on, but also maybe some of the great resort and uh, golf courses across the nation to really focus uh, some of their efforts on there. And then the other thing that we were just briefly talking about before we went live um, was about in the school system. Uh, I know there's some great programs across the country right now, um, but I'd like to see even more uh, integral courses getting them into the, um, into the school system, especially the elementary level. Um, guys, your thoughts, uh, Paul, uh, Anthony? Um, I, I agree with all that, I, I guess is the best answer. I mean, I think, um, I think families, um, you know, with the, all this technology that, that, you know, is out there now. And I think a lot of the folks who kind of feel like golf is, um, declining, uh, site technology and, and the fact that, um, you know, people are, have shorter attention spans and are more interested in kind yep. of being in their phones. But I, I think that there's all, there are also plenty of people who are going to kind of, uh, revolt against that for lack of a better term, or, you know, who yeah. are going to families who are going to realize that that really isn't the best way for them to spend their time and, and for their kids to grow up and golf and having your kids around, uh, the course or the club, um, is a great way to, to get your family together. And I know that, like you said, um, you know, the women, female side of the game uh, and women in general in golf um, is, is, are growing. Their participation is, is increasing. And I think if clubs uh, and courses can, can meet that demand, then I think there's definitely growth opportunity there. Yeah, I I agree. Um, Paul, I think, you know, really, I guess my point is that for, for quite a number of years now, there's been a real disconnect in the family um, you know, as, as uh, Tony had just mentioned, um, you know, kids have been sort of caught up in the social media frenzy here and even some adults as well. And I think what's, what's been happening is there is starting to get a little bit of a pushback. Uh, you know, parents are trying to find ways of, of uh, you know, getting the kids engaged again in, in family activities. And, uh, you know, golf needs to be part of that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think that um, this is an opportunity right now as more and more women get in? Um, and, and obviously, naturally, the, the kids will follow an opportunity for the PGA and LPGA to, to really aggressively go after that market. And, and I'm talking about the family market. Uh, definitely. I think, you know, uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, women in general are the ones who make a large percentage of the consumer decisions for a household. Um, yep. And so, you know, if, if if you have uh, somebody in the family who is making those decisions and falls in love with the game and sees that as an opportunity to have their family together, to be doing something that's productive, 
to to be playing a game that teaches a variety of different life lessons um, mm-hmm. and to get them away from <clears throat> their devices, I think that it's definitely something that uh, is worth you know promoting and trying to um, trying to push. Well said. You know, I, I think I guess what the way I look at it, guys, is this. Um, you know, there's a lot of great, and we mentioned, uh, or you guys mentioned a couple off air, um, great programs currently out there. But I think another thing that I would really like to see, and and, I, and again, it's going to take some financial commitment from uh, perhaps some of the uh, manufacturers out there, the, the golf club and, and ball manufacturers um, that have, you know, obviously made uh, some, some good money over the, the years off the industry. Um, this would be a super way for them to give back. Um, and I'm talking about the school system. Uh, you know, Many other sports, football, baseball, soccer, and depending on where you are in the country, even hockey uh, is in the school system on some level. Uh, golf is still pretty new. Um, you know, there's certainly collegiate, you know, Division One teams in the college level and even some high school levels. But overall, there isn't much of a presence in the school system uh, until just recently. Um, what do you think you'd like to see happen there, um, uh, Anthony? You know, that's, that's a tough subject because of the fact that we're dealing with so much stereotype with golf. You know, golf is kind of the only sport where it still requires a lot of money to just go out and purchase equipment. Uh, you can, you know, you, you start playing basketball, you just pick up a basketball and go to any right. court in, in America and it's free. And tennis, you can go to any court and it's free. So the problem yep. is, is we're dealing with so much t- stereotypes and there's no one really to bridge that gap between that rich man sport to the kids <clears throat> and you know, you, you can come up with programs until you're blue in the face, and it might make you feel good that we have these programs in place, but are right. they really getting across to the level that we need them to be, and are they getting across by the people with passion enough to teach that? And the problem I see now is, yeah, you're right, there's no specific programs to get into the school, A, because getting into schools is a lot harder than you think, and B, because we, we don't really have the professional that is that feels comfortable enough to go to that school and be the yeah. person of contact in front of 50 kids, you know, because I would much rather go to their school <laughs> because that's where they feel comfortable than taking right. 50 kids to my range because they're out of fish out of water. They just won't feel right there. So right. you know, again, I, I, I kudos to anybody who's trying this and I've tried it myself and it's really hard to get into the school system as an individual, even with an, an entity such as a PJ tour on my back, which I have, it's still tough. Right. So yes, there, there's, there's a need, but we're missing that certain people to, to, to be that messenger. And I think that's where it's breaking down. Right. I, I wonder if, if maybe uh, another way to approach this is, uh, Paul, with, with maybe educating the educators uh, a little bit about golf. In other words, you know, they're already there teaching. They've already got the, the, the kids' attention. And I'm talking at the elementary stage. I'm not talking, you know, we're not talking about high school and, and obviously collegiate level because uh, that's a whole different uh, uh, subject there. But uh, at the elementary level, I mean, the, the younger that you get them exposed to golf uh, or any sport, really, um, the easier transition you will have later in life. If you start somebody much later in life with something, they're not as apt to really grapple to it. Um, so what about maybe um, getting some of the educators that have an interest, maybe coaches, things like that, that are currently in the school system, getting them involved with the PGA Tour? I'm not saying necessarily certify them, but get them 
educate a little bit about golf and then bring the pros in there to, to, to be a little bit more refined um, with specific uh, um, mechanics and things like that. What about something like that? Would that be uh, maybe an interesting approach to take? I definitely think it would be uh, one approach to take. I think the key word that you just mentioned is interest. Um, if, if a teacher or a, you know, um, an educator uh, or administrator has an interest in golf and has a background in golf and appreciates what it, what it does for people and what the game is about, they're going to, they're more likely obviously to, to teach it and sure. to transfer that on to other people. Um, and, and promote it in their school. But, um, you know, I think if you, if you're just trying to, um, kind of convert teachers, I would imagine right. that physical edu- you know, phys ed teachers probably have a, a selection of sports that they can teach their kids. Um, right. and they may or may not want to teach golf if they have no background in the game. Um, but if we as golf professionals can, help you know help them enlighten them or help help them sure. understand what what some of those benefits are um you know in basketball you're not learning about integrity and sportsmanship and and some of the things i mean maybe you are but not to the same right. degree um sure and and i think if you can kind of communicate that then you're much i think you're more likely to get that get that kind of segue started and get kids involved in, in, in the game, uh, you know, at a younger age, you're absolutely right that, you know, you can't expect kids to play soccer and baseball from when they're teeny tiny. And then to suddenly like develop a passion for golf at 10 or 12, um, right. at the, at the same rate, you know, if they're, if they've never been introduced to it, uh, at the same time in their life, they're just we're not gonna we're not gonna win that battle, right? And, and well said, both of you. Um, and, and Tony, you you hit it really, I think, as well, right on the head. Uh, you know, it, it's it's still has a stigma as a rich man's sport. I think that's one of the apprehensions in the school system about bringing golf in is because they know that in many cases a lot of the students there don't have the financial means to maybe get fully engaged in some sort of a golf program. So it's very very difficult. And this is where I think. Some, some serious uh, dollars and commitment from uh, the tours as well as uh, the manufacturers coming in and making equipment available for the school systems um, at, at very reduced rates or even almost in the form of a donation uh, and, and do it. And I think there are some programs like that, but um, that's a, a conversation I think for, for another time. It's it, again, as you guys pointed out, it's a very, um, a difficult subject really to tackle. There's a lot of variables in, in it, and I think it's one that really I'm sure has been going on for a while, uh, and maybe we'll figure out a way that we can uh, break that glass ceiling. But, uh, guys, let, let's talk about uh, specifically golf uh, and teaching. One of the things I want to talk about, and, and Tony, I'm going to let you start off if that's all right. Um, in, in your opinion, do you think teaching golf uh, is getting too complicated? Is, is there too many things? And I'll give you some examples um, you talked about, you know, technology. There's a lot of technology out there in that, and, and we've discussed this many times in the past on the program here. Um, but is there just so much information out there um, for the teaching professional, not, let alone the students, that it's becoming very complicated uh, and, and almost a juggling act to teach golf nowadays? 
Yeah, I, I agree. Any anytime you are trying to be disciplined in your in your craft, and that's what I try and motivate myself to be is understanding as many styles that you can and try and pick your best one. And, and, you know, obviously you want to mold it to the student's ability and you look at their age, look at the flexibility, all that stuff. Uh, now I think the idea or the notion of instruction has changed for the better by understanding right. that we're different and we wouldn't have been where we are without technology and without the investment of technology and without the special direction, you know, that, that, that's, you know, a, a person takes to get that uh, information. But, the problem is, is now there's way too much information. And, yes, for the, for the student, it's way too much information. And sometimes for the instructor, it's too much information. And I say that because golf is basically, I would, after all my years in teaching and all the understanding that I have, I would narrow it down to it's a field-based game led by some thoughts. And I mm-hmm. say that because the golf swing in its entirety is anywhere from 0.9 seconds to 1.1 seconds. The backswing is 0.9 seconds. The downswing is 0.1 second. We have to generate two tons of force at impact to strike a ball with enough spin. Now, if you start thinking about that, we have 0.1 seconds to get the club head to go from zero to well over 80 miles an hour and generate two tons of force at impact. Now, how can we think about all this stuff and all these positions and strike the golf ball correctly? Now, the problem is right. we can maybe only think about maybe only think about one thing. And even if we're thinking about one thing, are we actually in that position? Probably not. So we start thinking too much. We start analyzing. We start trusting uh, the camera more than our feeling. And we, you know, I, I fell victim to working with a motion analysis machine and a, a, a uh, camera where it was so bad that I could not teach without that stuff. Like I needed yep. that stuff. And that's when I looked at myself and said, you know what? I'm going the wrong direction. And now I don't even use, I hardly use anything. I'm out there with my student. I'm talking about their feelings. I'm looking at direction. I'm looking at basically ball flight and deciphering based on the track man, based on the, the new nine ball flight laws that I know and understand, but I'm not trying to make it complicated for them. So it's, you, you have to know to grow, but then you have to forget to be better, in my, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Paul, um, what about your thoughts? I mean, here, here we are now in uh, well into the 21st century. We've got all of these great products out there and all of these different gadgets that – uh, are there to to help uh, as as golf professionals to enhance and make our lives a little bit easier, but have they really done that? Have they made it easier to to teach golf uh, or is it in some ways made it more complicated because we 're bombarded with all of this technology and all of these uh, stats and things coming in, and then we 've got to somehow translate that so the students can understand so is it is it di- more difficult do you think now and and would you sort of lean more towards what Tony was just saying? maybe going back to more of, and I hate to use this term, but a grassroots type movement where um, certainly technology has a place, but we need to get back to maybe a more basic uh, level of, of instruction. Uh, I wouldn't say we want to go completely back. No. I mean, I think uh, I teach, I have a, I have quite a bit of technology. Um, sure. I don't upcharge for any particular thing. I just use it as I see fit. And I'm very, very careful about, how I communicate and what I say um, during my lessons. So, you know, I, I think I've seen, you know, with KVEST um, right. and Aimpoint, and I'm a certified Aimpoint instructor, um, and Focus Band just this year, um, mm-hmm. changes and, and, you know, progress with students that I just don't know that I would have we would have been able to achieve that before, you know, like, right. Um, 
the biofeedback from KVEST is, and the way, um, you know, that system is set up can change somebody's conception of how they need to swing the golf club and their posture and all that stuff so quickly. Um, and there, you know, no matter how good you are with the English language, there's no way to do what that system can do for somebody right. in, in 45 minutes. Um, and so, or an hour, whatever. But I think um, you have to be very careful um, in the way that you communicate. And there's, there's just so much information out there on the internet for golfers that they generally come yeah. to lessons with, uh, you know, a head full of ideas of what's been going on, <laughs> what's wrong, why right. <laughs> I've been working on this. And then you have to kind of go through a debriefing clarify and then try to help them move forward. And then if you can do that, you can make, you know, you can make a lot of progress, but that's just the world we live in. I mean, it, we're not going to change the internet. Um, you know, yeah, so and, and, I think, go ahead. Sorry. Well, well, what I was going to say, I was just going to add to that. It, that brings up an interesting uh, approach as well. I mean, what about the internet? I mean, we've got, uh, you know, we're all on there. We've got websites and, you know, all, all kinds of great things out there for our students and for, for those that are following us. Um, but there is a lot of information, some of it good and some of it not so good. How do we combat that? How do we, you know, I mean, Paul, you just pointed out, you know, we have to sort of, um, you know, analyze what, what the students are coming to us with uh, and try to, to, you know, digest it as best as possible. But but at the same time, they're bombarded with a lot of information. Um, is it making our job a little bit more difficult, um, Paul? Uh, I don't know. I love my job. I, I would say, <laughs> I think that they, I think that they, um, if they intend on a to to, on, to to make a very like concerted effort to get better at golf and to take maybe a series of lessons or start a coaching program and make that commitment then they have to have the mental discipline to not, not go that route. I mean, there's, it is, you cannot enter, you know, on plane backswing in, in Google, if that's what you choose not to do. Um, and so that's on them and, and golf requires mental discipline. So maybe that's a good lesson. I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of information, but you know, if somebody is paying you for, for custom tailored advice um, and they right. have respected you enough to do that, then that's something that they have to choose not to do. Um, yeah. And I have that conversation a fair amount, but it's, you know, usually at the beginning and, um, and, you know, once you get somebody hitting the ball better, they, they stop yeah. worrying about other things. Right. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. I mean, I think it's a matter of, 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 you know, seeking that commitment from, from the students. And, and obviously once they've done that, then, you know, hopefully they're, they're using their, their head and, and not, uh, you know, going to 20,000 different websites to look for information. Um, there's nothing wrong with doing a little research uh, before you engage with a professional to maybe have some questions sure. lined up that you may want to ask them. But I think once you've made that equipment, I would agree, uh, or commitment, excuse me, I think that uh, I would agree that, you know, you need to, to stick with that commitment and, and uh and see it through um what about quirks in the golf swing uh tony we we've got some and i'm going to give you a couple of examples out there and and i i really hate to use the word quirks but um from what we we know today from what we see sort of the 
um, or the ideal golf swing. We see some some funky looking ones out there. Jim Furyk comes to mind. He's got a bit of a loop on the top there. Um, you know, there's others out there that are a little bit more what we would classify as mainstream. Uh, everybody's sort of swinging along the same lines. You've got uh, st- stack and tilt, different types of, of uh, processes. You know, Ledbetter's come out with the A swing. So there's all kinds of different golf swings out there. Um, as a golf professional, how do you work with somebody's quirks? Do you try to change it or do you work with, with what they've got? Or how do you decide whether you should or not? That's like the, the question of all questions, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> sometimes you don't know, yeah. you don't even know yourself when you're looking at the students, like, do I take them down this avenue? And I think you just have that talk with them, you know, and, and I've had this talk many times. And I think the deeper the person is in their career, the harder it is to be to change that person, you know, and, right. and the people that you mentioned, like the Jim Furyk, you know, and all these, these, like you say, quirky swings, they're bad examples because they're on the PJ tour. They're the best in the world. So clearly it right. works for them. So it's, it's hard right. to compare apples and oranges. But the, I guess the diehard question is when you're talking to your student and finding out, you know, that first interview phase, how long have you been playing golf? Where do you see yourself in five years? Do you see yourself playing at a certain level? Are you just comfortable playing as a weekend golfer? Do you expect yourself to be competitive? Have all these questions laid out because if their answer is, you know, I just want to be a weekend golfer, I just want to have some fun, okay, well, obviously I'm not going to start changing your, your quote-unquote perks because that's a natural move. And quite honestly, to be a weekend golfer, you just need to hit the ball somewhat straight, but chipping and putting is where we need to focus on. Now, if you want to be a tour-quality golfer or a division player, college player, now all of a sudden we have to look at what's repeatable over and over again. Is your cork going to give you that repeatable motion, or do we have to start taking that cork out? And if we do so, it's going to take you two years of hitting a 1,000 balls a week, hit, uh, going to the golf uh, driving range three or four times a week, doing workouts, stretching out, eating right, sleeping better. It's, it's a whole different aspect. So that discussion really sets up where I take my student's journey to, and then it comes down to the trust. Can I trust my student to do this, and can he or she trust me to keep them on track? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think also, too, that something, uh, and, and Paul, I'd like to get your thoughts on this. I think a lot of it, it really depends on um, what the end result is. And, and what I mean by that, if, if the person is, is playing pretty decent with what they've got, um, it may not nece- be necessary to, again, unless, it's, unless there's a fundamental flaw um, coming into impact or, or, or that area. But I think if, if they, you know, I mean, this is a little bit of exaggeration, but, you know, hop on one foot. Uh, but as long as their impact is sound, uh, I think it doesn't really matter. We've seen examples of some some odd swings over the years, um, you know, and players that have had what we classify unorthodox uh, approaches. Lee Trevino is probably one I, I think of as well. Uh, not the swing itself, but he was always very open and sort of had a, a bit of a loop. Even um, uh, Freddie Couples, you know, had a long pause at the top and then sort of uh, pulled the trigger. Um, not everybody was swinging like Ernie L. So in, in a case with somebody with maybe an, an oddity or a quirk, if you will, um, and again, I don't like to use that word, uh, what do you feel or when do you feel it's necessary to make that change? Do you agree partially with what, uh, what um, Tony was just saying or, or do you have a different approach? Well, yeah, I think it. I definitely agree with, with a lot of what Tony said. I mean, it, you have to – you have to look at the person's goals and what their life is like, what they intend to do with golf, how much practice time they have. But I, you have to imagine, you know, if, if uh, teenage Jim Furyk 
freshman in high school had showed up on my lesson team and he was producing a repeat, repeatable ball flight with, uh, with the swing that he had, you know, why would you necessarily change it if the impact's good, if it sounds good, uh, if right. the ball flight is consistent, and if he's one of the top players in his age group, right? So, um, I mean, everything in his downswing is, you know, as close to ideal as it could be. Um, so I think you have to, uh, you know, you have to look at what is the quirk? Is it is it a quirk because it's cosmetic, because it offends our eye? in terms of what the ideal classical golf swing looks like? Um, or is it a quirk that is like a Charles Barkley quirk, you know, well. that <laughs> creates uh, right. know, completely dysfunctional golf that, that will not allow that person to have pleasure playing, playing the game. Um, you know, I think that that's, uh, that's his problems are a little bit more than stylistic. Right. So, right. Exactly. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, obviously, there, there's you have to really look at the, the student and, and, and gauge that. What about different? Uh, you know, is there um, Anthony? Is there one swing fits all? I mean, we, we've we've seen you know Ledbetter's come out here in recent years with the A swing. Uh, I mentioned stack and tilt was another one, single axis, um, or, or it's been also referred to as natural golf. Um, is there one swing fits all, or or again, does it go back to the individual? Um, their style, their body type, perhaps, and and what their their goals are. How do we decide what category we want to put them in? Well, you know, when you come to those guys that have the method, you know, they made their millions on their method, and they're selling their method, and you have to respect that because it's their method, and they're making sure. tons of money. But when it comes to the, the the normal guys that are out there teaching, there's no one swing. I mean, it's just you have to look at the individual, you have to look at their strengths, weaknesses, analyze where they want to go, where they are now. Um, my whole philosophy with teaching any level student is we're not talking about your good shots. We're talking about your misses. And does your motion produce such a big miss? Because if you want to get better at golf, golf is not about great shots at all. It's about good misses. Can you get the ball right. in play when you miss it? Because even the best golfers in the world, look at Ben Hogan. You know, he would yep. go out and play around a golf and then ask Ben Hogan, how many did you hit perfectly? And he would say two or three. Now, if you and I were watching Ben Hogan, we'd think, wow, this guy's hitting every shot beautiful. But that just goes to show you the detrimental way that we think about ourselves. You know, we're such perfectionists, and especially when you get to golf, we have so many perfectionist genes in us that we want to strike for that golf perfectly, but we never really do. We might do it once yep. or twice. So just understanding where my, where, where's the divergence? Where do I miss? Do I miss my golf ball 30 yards left and 30 yards right? If that's the case, how do I make me miss it 15 yards left and 15 yards right? And what move can I do to correct that? And that's more important than taking somebody that doesn't fit a stack and tilt model and trying to teach him stack and tilt because you'll probably break his back or something. That's something you don't want to have on your resume. Right. And, and, and yeah, again, you're, you're right on the money. I, I think it really, you know, each, each individual, I think that's one of the, the, the dangers of, of sort of parlaying somebody into uh, or everybody into the same mold because everybody is uniquely different. You have different body styles, body types. Uh, uh, some might have a, a different physical limitations, whatever they may be. Um, so you, you have to be careful that you don't brand somebody. And, and as you pointed out, Tony, I, I agree. I mean, obviously, um, I'm certainly not uh, here to criticize uh, some of these guys that have 
uh, made money on on their particular theories or methods. But um, I, I think that we have to be careful um, that we don't sort of put everybody into one box. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about some. Let's talk about. Uh, and Paul, I'm going to start with you on this one. Um, you know, we've got a lot of folks out there that get out in the practice tee and. And boy, they're just hitting them. We're going to try this from both ways, uh, really. But uh, you know, they're out in the practice tee, and, and uh, they're they're just striping them good, and and you know, right down the center, and and hitting their their marks. And then they get to the first tee, and it's like they left the the good golf swing back on the driving range. Um, how, how do we help with the transition? What do we do to to help with confidence for some of these players to to take that range game, if you will, out into the golf course? Um, well, I think it depends on the person. Sometimes less time on the range is not a bad way to go. Um, right. But I think, uh, you have to introduce consequences into the practice and, and make the practice kind of game-like, you know, you have to, you have to be able to distinguish between, am I, am I doing repetitive practice right now because I'm trying to learn a particular movement? Maybe I'm trying to you know, bow my left wrist at the top of my backswing, something like that. So I'm going to hit 50 wedges trying to do that. And, you know, in between practice swings. Um, And that's kind of what we would call block practice. And you have to do that sometimes if you're going to actually make a change um, in your swing. But there are times when you've already learned that or you're not really changing anything in your swing. And what you, what you really need to do is, show yourself uh, or develop the ability to hit a shot the way you want it or as close to, as close to that as you can um, once Mm. Um, like you're on the golf course. So, you know, if you, if you, if you're doing that on the range, then you have to approach it totally differently. Um, You can't just rake one golf ball after the next and, and hit shots. Um, because you're not really replicating what you have to do on the course. Um, so helping people, and I talk about this all the time, uh, helping people understand that, you know, if you're trying to actually uh, develop the ability to hit shots, then you have to slow yourself down and you have to go through a process. And it probably kind of seems silly to get back behind your golf ball and like mm. look at the wind and try to figure out, what your target is and maybe visualize a little bit on the range, but that's what you should be doing to produce a ball flight that you actually, you know, that you're going to be able to do on the golf course. Well, you need, need, excuse me, you need to be able to, uh, pardon me, visualize the shot as though you were out on the golf course and you need to to practice that. It's, it's part of the the whole routine. You're, you're exactly right. Um, Tony, let me ask you, uh, from a little different perspective here, um, and I want to take a little bit of what, what Paul just said, you know, with, with sort of a, a block practice method where, you know, you're working on a specific change um, and, you know, maybe they've been working with, with their professional for, for a few weeks and maybe haven't quite mastered that change yet. Now they're out and they're getting ready to play around with, with their, with their buddies. And um, first part of the question is, do they work on when they're got a few minutes to practice on the range, do they work on some of that change uh, right before the round, uh, and and if not, why? And number two to the question is, if they haven't quite mastered it, should they still try to, to to make that change while they're on the golf course, play with that change, 
or should they revert back to uh, you know to what they were doing before? Well, it just comes down to how much work have they put into it before they give it an attempt on the golf course. And the hardest thing is to make that transition. Uh, what I mm. tell my students, I actually had a, a lesson yesterday with somebody that's going <clears> through <throat> the exact same problem. On the range, he's pretty good. He's pretty solid. He you know, sends me videos of him. Um, and we go back and forth and we collaborate, and he's making good progress. But as soon as you go on the golf course, it, everything just reverts. And it's like – and he gets so frustrated because he sees himself. He goes, God, you know, I'm, I'm spending all this time in the range. I'm doing the right work, but nothing's getting done. And this is the hardest thing to communicate to students is the level of expectation is you still have to tell them once you go back to that environment where there's a, there is a target, there is a score involved, there is uh, errors yeah. that can happen, there's out of bounds. You see all this stuff. You're going to regress. You're going to go back. It's just na- natural. But I guarantee if you work – you will not go back as far as you were. And if we look at where you first started to where you are now, I guarantee you we'll see some differences. Now, they might not be the exact same as when you're striking it on the range in, real, in better positions, but they're going to be better. And I always use this example. I say, you know, if, if I, for whatever, walk for, with my heel planted first, and whatever decision I, I'm trying to do, I want to walk with my toe planted first. I have to think about that. I have to physically think about my toe, yep. toe going down, then my heel, my toe, then my heel. But as soon as a lion jumps out of the bush and starts chasing me, I'm not going to run away with my toe and my heel. Toe. I'm just going to do what came naturally. I'm going to run with my heels right. going and regress. Right? <laughs> so it's the exact same thing. As soon as you see right. that ball on the ground, as soon as you're on the tee box, you regress. And that's just, it's normal. It's okay. And we have to tell these students, it's okay that you regress. Don't be so stressed out about it. Just look at the positives. Start to look at your, your misses. Are your misses as bad as they were? start to jot down stuff. And again, we can go on this subject all day long, but sure. power is so detrimental to our operation and our success rate because <clears throat> who can actually play to par? We're looking at the 0.001% of golfers. So why do we even put par on the scorecard? It's, it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever, ever been across in, in the business is why do we even have par on the scorecard? It's like if I go to a bowling alley and they tell me, hey, the goal tonight is 300. And all of a sudden, I can't even break 100. I'm just going to say, man, I, I, I suck at bowling. I'm not even going to bother. So I just quit. Yeah. So I think part of the, the, the mentality is we have to educate our students correctly. Yeah, that's a, that's a great uh, – and I like the lion analogy too, Tony. Thank you for, for that. I'm gonna that was a that good one. If you don't, yeah, I'm, I'm going to use that once next time uh, I get in that, that conversation <laughs> with somebody. But um, – but no, you're you're exactly right, and and obviously you know we know why par is on there, but but you're you're exactly right. I think that a lot of people out of frustration, and I like also the fact um, that from time to time we are going to regress, uh, you know, back when when a, a difficult situation like that. Um, Paul, I, I want to talk about how we we uh, you know you, you mentioned a couple of ideas there, you know, to sort of visualize. Uh, the types of scenarios that you might be facing on the golf course and that, but let's, let's take somebody um, for a, a, a practice session where we might be implementing some changes. And then what should a typical practice session be right before uh, a round with your buddy? So what are the differences that we, we want to, in other words, if the student's there and the, and the coach is not there with them, um, but they want to work on some of the things that maybe were discussed in, in the last uh, training session, what should the student be? What sort of a, a I guess, for lack of better words, what should the uh, student be putting together in his or her practice session uh, to implement some of those changes? And then uh, when they're just warming up before playing around, uh, what should that look like? 
Uh, that's a great question. I think so how you practice to create change, I, I usually kind of give a, a student uh, kind of a customized little practice um, plan based on what it is we're actually trying to, to change. So if, right. if we're trying to develop club face control, just as an example, um, somebody's hitting pushes and, and hooks, and we're trying to get them to control the club face a little bit, then maybe I'll have them put a couple of alignment rods out about 20 or 30 feet in front of them and try to hit sets of five or 10 golf balls between those sticks um, at, at, you know, half or three quarter swing speed at first um, and have them count and keep track. Um, so that would be kind of an example that's block practice, but you're right. introducing some consequences and a little bit of pressure because you're counting and keeping track. And the goal is, you know, to, if we had five out of 10 today uh, between the sticks and hopefully tomorrow we'll have seven out of 10. Um, and, you know, so that's kind of an example of, you know, very simple custom tailored um, practice session or format. Um, you know, you might, uh, you're going to look at a, a pre round warm up completely differently uh, okay. because you're not trying to, you're not really trying to perfect technique. Um, you're just trying to get loose and, and warm up. And one of the things I say to people, you know, all the time is I've had some of my best rounds uh, with almost no warm up. Um, and I've had some really great rounds after terrible warm ups. Uh, so you can't, you don't want to really feel like how you warm up is going to be going to determine how you play. Um, Last year, I think I played a pro-am and made nine birdies after hitting about five golf balls on the range. Um, got wow. stuck in traffic. And and um, so you have to keep your mind open to the possibility that you might play well, even if you didn't really warm up that well uh, or much at all. But I think, you know, how you warm up, um, you know, very simple warm-up would be start with a sand wedge, hit three or four, just little kind of 30 or 40 yard chips. Uh, try to make sure that you're hitting it right in the middle of the club face mm. and then work your way out to full sand wedges and then up through your bag, maybe eight iron or seven iron and then five iron and then three wood and then driver. And uh, I think hitting no more than five golf balls with each one of those golf with each one of those clubs is, would be plenty. Um, and then go chip and putt and get a feeling for the greens and a sense for how, how fast they are and focus on your speed control um, and prepare yourself to go play. Um, but it's uh, you're not going out on the range before a round trying to really even focusing on, on what you've been working on lately in your golf swing. Um, right. I think you're just trying to get, get warm, find the middle of the club face, and uh, get ready to go have a fun day. Well said. Um, exactly right. Um, Tony, what about post-round? Um, assuming that our golfers uh, haven't been, been hitting a beverage cart too much during their round and, and still have some, <laughs> some uh, somewhat wherewithal left in them, 
Um, obviously, this is something that's been very common on the PGA Tour and, and LPGA Tour that you'll a lot, a lot of times, if, if a player's maybe had some issues out in the golf course that day, we'll go and, uh, and a lot of them do it anyways, but uh, particularly if there's been some issues, Tiger's been famous for this uh, after a round, he'll go and, and hit some balls after to work out any few kinks or just, uh, you know, uh, just hit some balls. Uh, do you recommend that uh, if possible? And uh, is that the time that, that to do some of the things that, that maybe they, they are working on? Um, your thoughts there? Sure. Uh, you know, it reminds me, I got to put my number on the back of a suicide hotline. Sometimes I get some of my students <laughs> want to commit suicide after they've done. Uh, that's probably not a good job that I'm doing, so scratch that. But I guess, you know, it depends on how bad you're playing and also how tired you are because sometimes, it's, honestly, right. it's just fatigue. And I don't think it's a very good idea if you're limping into the clubhouse to go out no. and decide to hit a bucket of balls and working on things because you're just going to – you know, emulate that same mistake and all of a sudden you're ingraining a bad motion. So, but then again, sometimes it could just be a small uh, glitch that's just occurring that, that you can easily kind of fix. So I guess you have to know yourself. You have to know why things are occurring. And that's education that I try and do my best to help my students recognize why the ball is going in a certain direction. Is it a fatigue issue? Is it a nutrition issue? Have you drunk enough water? I mean, something simple as that can actually eliminate a lot of our mental errors because we get, I think we get right. physically tired later. We get mentally tired first. And you know this because in the middle of the round, you'll see people kind of give up. They just say, you know, forget all this stuff. I'm just going to swing normal. I'm just going to swing. Yep. And all of a sudden they start eating the ball well. So, Physically, they're okay, but mentally, they're, they're tired. So maybe some mental exercises when they're done, maybe just going back to see where they felt they can actually change or go and reproduce a hole, and maybe they can just reproduce that, that certain shot that got them in trouble. Maybe it was a low punch shot that they can go try and relearn or you know, anything to try and end on a good note, I guess is what I'm saying. And if it takes yeah. you to mentally think about good things, that's, that's probably almost as good as going out to hit a bucket when you're not tired because it's all about the mental approach, you know, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you a really quick story is I was on mm. the range uh, about a couple months ago and I saw this, this gentleman on the range and he looked like he didn't belong there. He just looked like a fish out of water. So I approached him and I says, Hey, you know, my name's Tony. I'm the, the direct instruction here. Can I help you? Uh, Cause he didn't look like he was hitting the ball well and come to find out this guy was in prison for 10 years mm. and he just got released two days prior and the whole time he was in prison, all he could think about was hitting golf balls because he grew up as a junior golfer. Now, I didn't want to delve into why he did prison time, but, you know, he sure. served his time and he's back out in, in the environment. And to me, that was so touching to see this gentleman who didn't really have family around him because they all kind of turned his back on him. And he just sure. had the bus and his feet. And he got there and he borrowed a club from us and he was just hitting golf balls. Now, to me, that was like, wow. I mean, that put things in perspective. So sometimes – you know, I think we take this game a little too serious. <laughs> we have to kind of yep. backtrack a little bit. But just to answer your question shortly, I think ending it on a good note, whether it's mental or physical, that's that's the goal. Yeah, and and Paul, that, that's a that's a good point. Uh, great story, and thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, maybe instead of going to the back out to the range and, and hitting golf balls, especially if you're a little fatigued. Uh, I like what what Tony just said about um, you know really sort of ending on a positive note. Um, maybe a good review, a, a review of the round, and, and certainly you're going to understand that there's going to be some bad shots in there, but maybe focusing on the, the things that you did right on each hole uh, and not necessarily negating but not dwelling on the things that you did bad. Is that a good way maybe to, to wrap up your round? 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's hard to argue with uh, Tiger Woods' approach. You know, I mean, I, I think it just depends on what your goals are for your game. I, you know, Tiger was trying to become the best player in history, and for the time that he played, the you know the way he could, I think he probably uh, was. But you know, we might not all be that serious about golf, and we might not all benefit from being that serious about golf. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think sitting down and, and looking back on, on your round and thinking about, well, I did those things really well. And, you know, uh, these are the things that I think maybe I can improve on. Um, right. I have a lot of my students uh, use a stats program called shot by shot. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, they put their, their numbers in at the end of the day and it gives them a very concrete kind of breakdown of what they did well and what they need to work on. And it's hard not to find a positive um, usually if you look at your, your round for the day. Um, and you know, it's an, it's kind of a nice way of looking at the round and saying, okay, well, that that's what I need to work on next time. Um, but I'm not going to go out at the end of the round and, you know, hit another 200 golf balls, uh, right. trying to work on, <laughs> on my full swing. <laughs> right. No, that, that's, that's a great point. You know, you, you're right. I mean, obviously, you know, uh, again, depending on what level of player you are, if you're somebody that's maybe uh, a more competitive golfer, you might want to head back to the range and, and, uh, you know, hit some more balls, but for, for our average high handicapper out there, that's just not going to happen. Um, in most cases, but, um, but I, I like the, the analogy of, of you know, sort of deciphering the round, and, and I like the shot by shot uh, program that you're you're running as well. Gives them a, a little bit better flavor of of what they've been doing, and gives them some some actual stats and some um, things to work with uh, for for down the road. So uh, I like that for both of you, um, guys. I'm going to give you a, a few moments each. Um, Tony, I'm going to start with you just because I know that you had uh, some things that you wanted to. Uh, to share um, with respect to some of the centers that are opening up. You said that you've got a number of them that are opened up. Uh, very briefly explain uh, what it is you're, you're referring to and uh, what you're what you're looking at uh, uh, trying to accomplish. Sure. Well, our PGA Learning Centers um, was founded by the PGA Tour and the PGA of America a couple of years ago, and we opened our doors in April to May in 2015. And it was a two-year pilot program, and the pilot program ends this December. And our job is to go out into the communities and find people that have never played this game of golf and turn them into core golfers. So we arranged a couple of contracts with American Golf Corporation uh, with another couple of uh, companies to go into their operations and establish our programs. And it's basically a get-golf-ready program with the Mm -hmm. addition of playing 10 times around uh, a year with our students. Um, And our job as direct instruction is to go out to the community. And I've, I've gone as far as setting up match events uh, where singles mm-hmm. events come out and they, they, they mix and they mingle and they, they do it around golf. I've done with Jollibee Food Corporations where I've actually gone into their management training and I've done a hour seminar on why I think golf would be a good fit for managers and their mm-hmm. employees to, to learn together because it creates teamwork. And we did a simple thing as um, we did a scramble event for putting and an alternate shot for putting. And you can, it's obviously two different results, and you're thinking about two different ways. You know, the ultimate shot, you're thinking about each other versus scramble, you're thinking about uh, the team. So 
you know, I've just done different programs like that. I'm working with after-school programs. I'm working with charter schools. Uh, we're really trying to get involved in corporations and programs that have never really been reached before by any of right. the governing bodies. So that's our job. Uh, we started with five sites in L.A., and I was one of the first five. We're up to 15 sites across four, uh, forgive me, four, maybe five states. And mm-hmm. if we get uh, an extension in December, we're looking to open your three properties and hopefully your four properties with the intention of getting in the hundreds open nationwide. So it's, it's okay. I want to say, I want to say like Nike learning golf centers, but it's not that it's, it's, it's different. We're actually going out to them as opposed to them coming to us. You know, I like that uh, approach and I've said this often, you know, one of the, if I was to have one criticism um, with with golf in general is that um, especially for the last several years uh, I've noticed this a lot with some of the courses, even in around my area, um, you know, they get up in the morning and open their doors and sort of wait for people to come to them. And I, I really like the fact that what you're doing is, is going out into the community and bringing people to you in a sense, as opposed to just sort of waiting for them to, to, to flock um, times have changed. Right. And I think, I think, you know, we, Ultimately, we're salesmen in a sense. Um, you know, we're obviously golf professionals. We're teachers. We're trying to educate people uh, about the game of golf and the golf swing and all that good stuff. But essentially, we're selling uh, a product and service all bundled up into one. And I think that uh, the only way that you can really reach the community is you have to get out there and be active in the community. So I really like the approach that you guys have taken with this, and, and I, I'm sure it's going to continue to uh, to build momentum. Yeah, we, we hope so. Fantastic, um, Paul. What what uh, what's cooking up in New Jersey? I know. Uh, uh, sorry, let me stop you for one second, uh, Anthony. If you want to let the folks know how they can reach out to you, sir, I forgot to get you to do that. Oh sure. Uh, well, the the website is PGA Learning Centers with an S dot com. You can check out mm-hmm. all the sites uh, across the nation. If they want to reach out to me personally, email t o n y b at pga learning centers dot com. Perfect. Thank you. Um, Paul, sorry, go ahead. Uh, well, this, the golf season is, you wouldn't believe it by the 80-degree weather on the first day of fall today here, but the golf season is probably not far from being over. So um, this has been an exciting year at Forbes Gate. We opened a golf academy, um, and things have been going quite well. Um, joined by a Champions Tour player uh, who had full exempt status last year on the Champions Tour, Frank Esposito. Um, and we have a great staff here. Um, we're going to be offering uh, a number of junior programs uh, during the winter and, and the spring. I'm, I'm running two right now on Saturday afternoons and Wednesday afternoons. Um, we had seven kids go to the world uh, championships for U.S. Kids Golf in Pinehurst oh, wow. this year. Um, so we've, uh, you know, managed to, I think, develop a, a decent reputation for uh, training junior golfers and something that I really enjoy and have a passion for. Um, we're going to have a U.S. Kids uh, instructor certification event here at Fort Gate <laughs> on October 13th. Um, so if I think that there still may be room, but if anybody is in this area and might be interested, it would be a good one to check out. Um, looking forward they, to – Where can they find out more about it? Go to the website? Uh, probably go to the, the U.S. Kids website um, under, I think it's coaches would be the link, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. Um, and uh, looking forward to 
having a little bit of uh, family time this winter. We're expecting a, a child in December. Um, so I think, uh, you know, after that's done, I'll probably uh, get back to teaching in, in January and we'll be running junior programs through the winter time. Well, fantastic. Uh, congratulations uh, on, on adding uh, another member to your family. Um, Paul, Thank how can you. they reach out to you? How can they reach out to you? Uh, I know that the season's winding down for you up in, in your neck of the woods, but uh, how can they reach out to you if maybe they want to tee something up uh, for the new year? Uh, the best way would be through our academy website, which is uh, Um And they can also email me at pcaster, K-A-S-T-E-R, at forsgatecc.com. Uh, my website is paulcastergolf. Com also. Perfect. Well, guys, I want to thank you uh, for uh, some interesting conversation tonight on, on Coach's Corner. And as always, it's a pleasure. And I, I, I mean this sincerely. I appreciate you guys giving of your time. I know it's not always easy after a long, hard day's work um, out in the golf course. Uh, boy, I'll tell you, it doesn't get any better than that. But um, I appreciate you guys giving of your time and, and uh, coming on and sharing uh, your thoughts and input uh, on the show with, uh, with my listeners. So uh, kudos to both of you. And I look forward to you guys coming back on again. Thanks for having me, Ted. All right, guys. Have a great uh, evening and a great uh, weekend, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. You too. Thank you. All right, thanks. Okay, that was my uh, special guests on the Coach's Corner panel, Paul Castor and Anthony Brooks, uh, joining on the Coach's Corner this evening and uh, just waiting for my my good friend, Mr. Barry Goldstein, to uh, to come on live, and, and uh, we'll bring him on as soon as he's here. Um, but just a re- quick reminder, uh, as I said, we are live every Thursdays from 6 to 8 p.m. Central or 7 to 9 for those of you on the East Coast. Uh, and I, as I said earlier, I think it's 4 to 6 uh, for those of you on the West Coast under Pacific time. Uh, and quickest way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com and uh, type up in the search key golf talk live and that will take you to the main page and obviously during the thursday night programs the show will be at the top of that page Um, but for some reason if you're not able to join us during the live broadcast not to worry just uh, scroll down and you'll find the on demand section just a little bit below and uh, you can listen to any of the previously aired shows including this one here uh, at the end of the show if if you haven't been able to join us live uh, if you go to that link blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live uh, you'll be able to tune in and listen to the recorded version uh, when it's convenient for you but thank you for all of the listeners that have come on live tonight uh, appreciate it always and uh, <clears throat> boy I'll tell you that the season's moving by as Paul had indicated obviously I'm down in Florida so uh, we have it all year round but for many of you up in, particularly up in the northeast and even in the northwest and certainly uh, many of those up in Canada uh, some of my fellow teacher professionals up in that neck of the woods uh, are starting to gravitate into their fall season and uh, before too long uh, they'll be winding things up and uh, taking a well-deserved rest for some and some of them will be migrating uh, down my way down to Florida and to pick up with some of their uh, fellow uh, teacher professionals down here and and, uh, working in some various different academies and different courses uh, throughout the southeastern part of the United States Uh, and uh, some of them go all year round so it just it just depends and uh, but uh, you want to make sure that you tune in each and every week, and I will update you on some of the great things happening around. Uh, my next guest has been on a number of times. I enjoy having him on, uh, Mr. Barry Goldstein. And let me just tell you a little bit uh, about him. 
before I bring him on, and then we'll, uh, we'll have a little discussion tonight uh, about a number of different things. Uh, as I said, Barry's uh, been on the show many, many times. He's a professional golf uh, instructor from uh, Coral Springs, Florida. Uh, he has been selected by Golf Tips Magazine as one of uh, America's top 25 golf teachers. He's also been named by Edwin Watts Golf uh, to the inaugural list of the world's uh, top golf teachers uh, selected by his peers of top-ranked golf professionals, uh, a well-deserved uh, uh, list as well. Uh, he's appeared on the uh, Golf Channel's Academy Live, uh, Your Game Night, and Champion Tour's uh, Learning Center TV shows during primetime. He's also authored over 100 nationally published magazine articles in Golf Magazine, uh, Golf Tips Magazine, Golf Digest, and non-golf magazines such as Men's Journal. Uh, Barry is uh, based at the uh, famed Inverary uh, Country Club in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, is where he's based out of. Uh, and he's also a proud father and coach of his talented daughter, who's been on the show as well, Carly Ray Goldstein. She's a winner of 102 golf tournaments to date. Uh, she was the Florida High School uh, Golf State Champion and shot a 71-69 uh, for a four-under par total to take the state title by four shots in 2012-13. Uh, Carly Ray was uh, recruited by over 100 colleges and signed a scholarship to play uh, for the LSU Tigers. Uh, Barry's also taught a PGA Tour winner, uh, several PGA Tour players, and several LPGA Tour players as well. He currently has uh, literally dozens of Division I college players uh, that he's currently coaching. So he's uh, well-rounded and just has an incredible repertoire uh, of, um, of technology and, and thoughts that he brings to his coaching uh, techniques, and we're going to talk about some of them tonight here. So let me welcome my very good friend, Mr. Barry Goldstein. Good evening, Barry. Welcome to Golf Talk Live. Ted, good to be on again. How are you, Ted? I'm I'm doing well, Barry. Uh, good to have you back on, my friend. And and uh, boy, I'll tell you, that's quite a list. You you've got uh, some great accolades there that you've that you've built up over the years. And one of them, of course, being your daughter, Carly Ray, who is uh, just a phenomenal player. Uh, and just uh, we're going to talk about her first and, and uh, get caught up on that. But uh, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ted. That was a very nice introduction. And, yeah, I'm a proud dad and been very fortunate in my golf career. So uh, it, it's happy to be on with you again, Ted. I, I like you as a person and I like you as a professional. So it's a pleasure to join you. Well, I appreciate that, Barry. Thank you very much. Um, all right, let's talk about uh, let, let's start off first before we get into some of the nuts and bolts, and and hopefully we'll have some calls uh, a little bit later on as well that we can uh, maybe get some questions for you uh, here on the show as well. But let's talk about Carly Ray, of course, uh, one of your daughters. Uh, you have two daughters, uh, Carly Ray and Aubrey, right? Yes, that's correct, Ted. Carly Ray and Aubrey, and uh, Carly Ray's playing for the LSU Tigers, as you said. And- Three years ago this week, we were on your show for the first time, and yep. she was just about to drive her up to college for her freshman year. And I remember that was a really good show we did, and yep. you interviewed her just as much as me, and uh, now she's just beginning her senior year. It goes by that quick. So she's playing for the LSU Tigers, played in you know the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Publing. She's played in just about everything, lost in the playoff to play in the U.S. Open. So it's she's had a great career. She's played – phenomenal golf most of her golf career and you know she's at college so I don't get to spend as much time coaching her these days which is very sad for me and I don't right. get to spend as much time around her which is sad for me but that's just the way life goes as as they age you know they she's off on her yep. own up in Baton Rouge Louisiana and uh, she loves college so she's doing great and um, she was a medalist back in January at the Doherty Cup I caddied for her in that and that was a lot of fun mm-hmm. actually shot four under on the front nine the first day which was Awesome to be a wow. caddy and watch your daughter shoot four under par. And uh, 
so she was the medalist the first day and uh, it was just a lot of fun you know and that's the last time I got to be around a lot of her golf because she stayed the summer in Baton Rouge this year so I didn't get to see much of her Oh wow, yeah. Um, now, you know what's interesting, and I was and I was thinking about this before he came on tonight. I was trying to mm-hmm. get in my mind here um, exactly. I knew that both of you were on when she was going for her freshman year, and I was trying to think: yeah. was this her third year that she's going in? But no, she's going in as a senior uh, come this fall, correct? Well, as they say, Ted, life flies by, and uh, yeah, it <laughs> I mean, that was just yesterday. You talked to us, and it, she was so excited. I was driving her up to college. Yeah. She's going into her senior year, and. Uh, she has not won in college yet. She's got a runner-up finish. We're waiting on. I'd love to see her get a win, but she hasn't won yet. She's got uh, a runner-up finish. She won a couple of tournaments over the summer. She was a medalist in the uh, in the in the Doherty Cup, which was very exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, right, you know, she's going to be up there fighting and kicking and scratching to do her best at college. And then um, next year at this time, we'll see what what her future holds. You know, um, God, yeah, it flew by. Ted, that's hard to believe. That was three years ago. Last week we were on your show, and uh, last month I drove her up to college in right. August of uh, thirteen. Yep, I remember that. Yeah. Wow, that's hard to fresh yeah, it's hard to believe. Yeah. yeah, she was fresh off her Florida State high school championship, and man, that just flew by. That three years, yeah, she's starting her senior year. She goes to the football games up at LSU. She's having a ball. Well, that is fantastic, and I know as coming in now as a senior. Uh, I'm sure we'll even give her uh, even that much more of a perspective. She's had three years now of really to of college life, but but particularly uh, on the team and that, and I'm sure that she's uh, always worked well. I want to ask you something that's really kind of interesting because obviously she's she's uh, golf is is a very individual sport, and this is a little bit different for her uh, being in a team format. Even though she's out playing her own uh, rounds, if you will, um, mm-hmm. now she's playing on a team. Um, what do you think uh, from your conversations with her, what has she taken away from this experience thus far? Do you think? Wow. That's a great question. We talk about it all the time. And to be 100% Frank, she's not thrilled with college golf. She likes it. I think she loves individual golf tournaments. Like sure. We had mentioned earlier, she won 102 golf tournaments. Those were always Carly chasing a victory. It's different in a team setting. And, it's something she's had to adjust to and get used to and have teammates and coaches. And, you know, your tee time might be 11 o'clock. You got to get to the course at eight 30 because one of your teammates tees off two hours earlier. So it's just a, a different format, a different beast. And yep. I think she likes, I think she likes college golf. I think she loves individual golf. And so, right. you know, it's been a learning experience for her and um, can only make her better in the long run, can only make her more mentally tough in the long run. And, um, you know, as her coach, her teacher, her dad, her everything, been it's been interesting from afar. I don't get to coach her as much, and it's been very interesting for the two of us, you know. And when she came over to home over the summer, she had some phenomenal success last year. And then, again, mm-hmm. over Christmas break, Christmas break, she was a medalist at a huge tournament, and she's had a lot of success. And um, I'd like to see her have some success with a win at the college level. So far, it hasn't panned out. She's got a runner-up finish but no first places. So we're just taking it as it comes. And, uh, you know, golf can be tough at times. You know how it is, Ted. It's yep. just a challenging yep. game. And <laughs> she's a very, very good player. And we'll have to see what her future holds when college is over. She'll have some decisions to make. And uh, we'll go from there. 
Well, I hope, uh, and I'm not, I'm not going to pry at this point yet because I know she still has a whole year to, to really formulate what she wants to do. I have a pretty good idea, I think, the direction she wants to go. But when you're ready to, to make that announcement, I would love for, for the two of you to come on the show and, and uh, uh, make an announcement here as to as what, she, uh, what her plans are going to be. I would love to have her do that. That would be our pleasure, Ted. You're such a class guy. That would be great. That's what we'll do. And, um, you know, right now she's focused on her senior year of college. We're, we're very much in the moment, people, and her moment mm-hmm. is right here and right now. She's a senior in college, and that's what she's focused on, enjoying the last year of her college experience and playing college golf and her teammates and what have you. But that's a great idea, Ted. And, you know, we'll touch base over the next six, eight, ten months, and we'll figure it out together. That sounds good. Well, that's as they say, that's a date. Um, Barry, I see that we got a caller. Uh, let's let's take a call and and uh, see if they've got a question or maybe they just want to say hello. Sure, Ted. Good evening and welcome hey, to Coach, Golf Talk Live. Is, you're on. You're hey, on with Coach, Barry Goldstein. Is, hey, Coach. This is Craig calling from Dallas. Craig, how, are you, how are you, my friend? Craig, one of my favorite students. Ted lives in Dallas, Texas, and he flies into Florida. And gosh, Ted's. Uh, He's been with us for some big moments. He was there when Carly signed her scholarship with LSU. He was right there at her school with uh, the principal and a big party they threw her the day she actually signed her scholarship, which was my birthday back in 2012. And Craig is a good player, loves golf. Craig, it's great to have you on. What can I help you with? Ask me anything you'd like, Thanks, Craig. Thanks, Coach. Well, I'm still always working on a good grip, the world-class finish. And... Mm-hmm. uh I find on the golf course that I still uh, – I'm a kind of a straight back, straight through putter, and I find sometimes that instead of rocking my shoulders kind of up and down, sometimes I go up and then around coming back through. So I will pull putts and I'll push putts. What can I do? Ah, that's a great question. First of all, congratulations. You texted me recently with a 76, I believe. That's great golf. All right, I'll give That's you a good correct. Tip. Yeah, very good. Great golf. I'll give you a good tip for that. One of my favorite putting instructors, and I don't, I'm very picky about what I listen to, Craig. You know that. I'm very, yes. very, very picky with my ears. Like 99.9% of stuff goes in one ear and out the other. But Dave Stockton has a great drill that you might want to try. Um, continue to work on using your shoulders rather than your hands and arms. Okay. But when you're done with your stroke, what Stockton likes his students to do, he likes the putter to stay low through impact, and he actually sets the putter down on the ground after his stroke and makes sure it's looking right at the target on your target line. And I've seen Dave Stockton teach that for years. I was into Stockton stuff before he was even a teacher. He, he wrote a book okay. about putting 30 years ago. And one of his tips for people that struggle – was to make your stroke keep the putter very low to the ground and actually set it on the ground after your stroke. Like, put the putter face on the ground, square, looking at the hole. That might help mm, you, okay. Craig. It sounds like your putter is coming up and in from what you're describing to me. Yes. Try that. Yes, Try that when is... you're... Make some practice strokes, Craig, and let your putter face look at the hole and let it stay so low that after your stroke, it's maybe an inch off the ground and just set it right down on the ground. That's a day Stockton tip that I've used it myself years ago when I used to get into some putting funks, and uh, I think that might help you, Craig. And I love that you're asking me about putting because me and you have worked so hard on your full swing. I love that you're focusing on your putting now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Isn't that great, All right, Craig? well, I will definitely try that. 
try that, Craig, and I'm proud of you that you're hitting the ball so well that you're realizing that putting is where it's at. I mean, great putters are great That's players. It. You know? And Craig's such a good guy. Ted loves golf probably more than I do. He, he loves it, and he's flown down to Florida several times from Dallas. Great guy, and I actually stayed at his house in Texas when Carly had a runner-up finish her freshman year SMU Invitational in Dallas at Dallas mm. Athletic Club. Craig's just a great guy. Got a heart the size of Texas. <laughs> well, thanks, well, Coach. I... Just like you. Yeah, thanks, buddy. Well, but that's the truth. Craig's a great guy, and I, I hope that helps you, Craig. I'm sure it will. Everything else has always helped. Thanks, Craig. Well, I hope I... I get to see you soon. You come to Florida anytime. Will do. Okay, my friend. Good speaking with you. All right. Y'all take care. You too. All right. Thank you, Craig, right. for calling bye in. Bye-bye. We appreciate it. All right, bye-bye. Um, Thanks, Ted. Bye-bye. You know, Barry, that's great that, um, you know, a lot of players, you don't hear them talking about the short game, particularly putting. A lot of them don't really, um, you know, they're focusing on the full swing all the time. And really putting, as you said, is really where it's at, the short game particularly, but but putting uh, even more so. Not enough players really focus on that. And that's a great tip that you gave Dave Stockton's. Well, you know what's funny? He's a wonderful person, a great person. He's come to me several times for golf. He flies in from Texas, stays at a hotel near my house, and he'll spend three, four days in Florida with me. And his swing has come so far, he's starting to realize, hey, I'm hitting the ball great. If I make a few more putts, I'm right around par. So I love giving him a putting tip. Great great comment you just made, Ted. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, let's talk about, um, since we were, we were talking about Carly Ray and that, I want to I wanna focus on women for a second because, as I was saying earlier in the Coach's Corner uh, discussion tonight, you know, we talked about really one of the areas of golf that has really grown in the last, especially the last probably 10 years, is women in golf. And I'm not talking about the tours uh, as much as I am talking about women in general. Um, what do you, when you think of the state of the game today for women, where is it at now in your opinion and where do you think it needs to go? Well, that is a great topic. And as a father of two daughters, I'm all about that, as you know, and having a daughter to mm-hmm. such a world-class player I think the state of women's golf is very healthy. I think, I think that the state of women's golf could be even better if golf was made a little less intimidating. For example, yes, you know, I get I get invited to some very nice golf clubs that still have men-only grills and women's tee times only after 12 noon, and I think that is insane. You know, right. um, in the year in the year 2016, that doesn't make any sense to me. But I think women's golf in general, my goodness come so far there's so many good athletes that play now there's so many good women that play and even like you said forget world-class players like carly and college players and pro players i give a lot of lessons to women i teach a lot Mm -hmm. of women i i had a woman yesterday i gave her a playing lesson there's a woman that averages 48 49 and i watched i caddied for her and she shot a 41 she took me out to dinner afterwards she goes barry i'm so addicted to golf she's in her late (laughs) 60s she didn't discover golf till she was 50 years old, and she loves it. She says, I wish right. I would have been playing this game my whole life. And I think she's a perfect example. She's stoked on it. She loves it. And, you know, what can I say? That makes me feel great as a teacher to take your student out, watch her shoot 41 when she averages 47, 48, and she insists that she takes me and her husband out to dinner to celebrate. And that's just fantastic stuff. I think a thing that could be better for women I just wish that some of the private clubs and some of the fancier golf courses would be more welcoming and open. I 
I remember when, yeah. I, you know, I've taken my daughter and I have traveled all over the country playing golf, and I still see things that just make your eyebrows go up, like no women allowed and women tee times after 12, and I just laugh. I show it to my daughter. When I said, Carly, you'd beat, you'd beat every guy in that grill room. <laughs> you, know, I, <laughs> you know, I just don't get that, Ted, but I guess right. it's just the way of the world. But I think women's golf in general, Ted, healthy, very healthy and growing, growing for sure. Yeah, and I think, and as I mentioned in the uh, great points, by the way, um, as I mentioned earlier tonight too on the show, I think one of the natural progressions that's going to happen out of uh, more women getting involved, particularly more uh, younger women as well, is there's going to be a gravitation towards family golf. I think the family unit has been, um, for lack of better words, a little dysfunctional here lately for, for a lot out there. Uh, just because kids have been caught up in this technology, um, you know, internet and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, unlike you and I that, that grew up in sort of a golf family, you know, my father took me out when I was very young, as I know yours did. Um, that's not happening as much with this younger generation. So I think it's going to be, you know, a, a sort of a gravitation, if you will, for kids as more and more women uh, get involved. And I think, again, it's going to have to be, um, the golf industry is going to have to really go after that market diligently. Let me ask you a question while we're on the subject of, of women's golf. Um, what differences, if any, do you incorporate in your instruction when you're teaching women as opposed to men? Is there, are, and let me rephrase that a little bit. Are there things that women are more interested to learn than some of your male students? Wow, that's a great question. Um, Let's talk two different segments. At the high-class level, for example, you know, I've got five, six, seven women playing Division I college golf on full 100% scholarships. Yep. When I teach those girls, especially when they're younger, they know that if, I may, if we work hard enough and <clears> I can make them good enough and they put the time in, that they're going to college for free. Those girls right. are very motivated. Now, in other words, Carly and some girls, there's a girl sure. that teaches at the University of Miami and, and – all over the country, they go on full <clears throat> scholarship. That's their motivation, and it's a great motivation. Mm-hmm. Now, on the, let's forget high-class, world-class players and just talk about a normal woman golfer. I think mm-hmm. the biggest thing, the biggest difference, I try to make it fun for them, and welcoming and less intimidating. I see, I see women leave golf because it's intimidating, and right. I just try to take that completely out. And, for example – Sometimes I'll make a point of introducing everybody at the golf course. You know, hey, you know, let's say her name is Joanne. Joanne, this is our GM. This is our head pro. I'll introduce them to everybody. I want them to feel <clears throat> comfortable. Men, with men, I don't really need to do that. They pretty much feel comfortable. I want sure. women to feel as comfortable as men. I mean, I have two daughters. To me, I'm all about women. You know, I, I love my daughters. I look at the women's future. And I just want women to show up at golf courses to feel like they're 1,000% welcome. And we want right. them there. I'm big on that. As far as instruction goes, I'll just try to tap into their athleticism. If they've been an athlete in the past, I'll use that as an example. If it's somebody that has never played any sport, of course, it's a much harder lesson. It's much harder to teach somebody like that. So I will start from scratch with the basics. But if it's a woman that, what did you play when you were younger, Joanne? Oh, I was a tennis player. I was a softball player. I'll immediately use those analogies and compare golf to that. I'll always do that with a woman. Yeah, uh, well said. I know that the LPGA has has taken an initiative here in the last couple of years 
um, to really uh, aggressively pursue um, the, the teaching styles and techniques of women, uh, I think because they've identified some differences. Women tend to have um, – they're not – certainly they want to be able to hit the ball further in that, but they're not as um, focused on the power game as they are on the shorter aspects, um, you know, pitching and, and so forth uh, and putting they seem to be more interested in that and less on the power game. Is that something, a trend that you've seen as well with uh, your uh, female students as opposed to male students? Well, I got to say at the world-class playing level, no, they're very similar to the men. Distance is very important to a lot of my college players. We're always working on length. We're always working on accuracy, but to a average woman golfer. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. What you just said is true. And it's, not quite as crucial to, to get them to launch the ball as far and long as they can hit it. At the Division One college level, length is a very big part of it, so we work on that. But, um, yeah, I think with an average female player, a woman that's just looking to shoot 90 or 100, for sure what you just right. said is accurate. Um, Barry, I see we got another caller, so let's take a, a caller and, and uh, see if they have a question for you. Sure. All right, good evening and welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live. You're on with Barry Goldstein. Uh, hello. Uh, Hi, good evening. I am, I am Chance Taylor from Gate City, Virginia. Hey, Chance, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you, Barry? Good. Can I brag on you for a second to Ted and, and our listeners? Hey, go ahead. This kid just shot 68 two days ago to win his high school district championship. This is a great kid from a great family who I have taught. He lives in Abingdon, Virginia. I live down in Fort Lauderdale. I met him in Virginia, but he comes down to Fort Lauderdale, and I've gone to Virginia. I spent three days with him in April. I'm going to spend three days with him in about ten days on my way back to Florida. Very talented player, very hard worker. His dream school that he'd like to attend is the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. So we've written some letters to the coach there, and hopefully that'll pan out. But he's going to play somewhere in Division One college golf. Ted, this kid can hit it and hit it long and hit it straight and. I've spent a lot of time with him. He's a great kid. Hey, I can't wait to see you in about 10 days. I'm coming down next weekend to see you on my way home. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. So am um, I, Chance. Congratulations. Chance, question? Yeah, what's your question, Chance? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, I was wondering if you could talk about the difficulties in choosing where to go to college and just making a choice about what colleges fit you. Wow, is that the question of the year or what, Ted? Um, yep. Chance, <laughs> as a father, as a father of a daughter, I can tell you, flat out, honest truth. I, I always am honest with Chance. I treat him like he's my son, you know. And I sent my daughter a long way away. She's 13 hours away. If I had it to do again, maybe the University of Miami or University of Florida, who both would have recruited her, would have been a better choice. Chance, I think that when you're a long way from home and your coach is a long way away, and your parents are a long way away, and your family is a long way away, it adds more on your plate. And, Chance, I think you're a good enough player. I know you're going to play Division One college golf, and I know you have a dream school, but I want you to go to a school that wants you to be there as much as you want to be there. Like Carly, LSU, she was their first recruit. Same with Wake Forest, Texas A&M. They all wanted Carly. It was just a matter of us picking where she wanted to go. I want you to be wanted by your coach so bad that you're their number one recruit. You're not just another option. You're the person they want. And I want you to go to a school where you're going to play. 
And that is huge, Chance, because I know what your goals are long-term. You don't have to state them to me. I know what they are. And if you're sitting bent in college, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to help what you and I are looking to do with your game in the long run. You've improved so much in the last year. I don't want you to go away to college in a year or two, and suddenly you're not playing. You're the ninth player, the eighth player. I don't want that to happen. We're not going to let that happen because your game will regress, and I want your game to go forward. So I think a process that we could look – I'm going to help you through it. You know that. I already have been in touch with coaches, et cetera. I think for you, Chance, you're so talented. You're going to keep getting better. It's paramount for us to find a school that wants you as much as you want to be there. And I know Coastal Carolina, University of North Carolina, I know the schools you're looking at, and we're going to find a good fit for you. And we want the coach to want you there as much as you want to be there. And I was lucky enough with my daughter, all those coaches wanted her. She was their number one choice. And that was very cool as a parent. Forget I'm a golf pro. I knew she was wanted. They went out of their way to show that she was their number one recruit. I want to find that for you. And I want you to find a school where you could compete every tournament. I don't want you to go to a school where you're not playing because that's going to do nothing for your golf game. Right. You know, and well, this is, this is a kid. He's long, he's tall. He hits it a mile. He comes from a great family. He lives in a small town, beautiful town in Virginia. And I'm lucky enough to be his coach and his mentor. And I want to help him find a school that fits. And, you know, it, it's got to be a good choice for him and a good choice for the yep. school. I don't, want, I don't want him going somewhere where he's the eighth guy on a team and he's not to get to, get to play because I just that's not going to help his game. And I'm all about helping him. Well, that's some great advice. And Chance, I want to wish you all the best. Um, I, I think you've got a great coach here with uh, with Barry, and uh, I know that he's going to he's going to steer you in the right direction. So uh, good luck with that, and um, thank you for calling in tonight. Thank you, T. Thank you, Chance. Right. I'll see you in about ten. See you in about ten days. Good talking to you, Bay. See you. You too, my friend. Bye bye. All right. Some great advice, Barry, um, for sure. And and you're exactly right. I think that it has to be a fit both ways. It can't be just one way. Um, you know, for sure. the, the the coaches have to really want to want the individual to be there, as as you pointed out with Carly Ray. Um, Barry, we've got yeah. another call that's been holding on the line here. So I want to bring them on here just to, to uh, give them a chance to uh, say hello and, and see if they've got a question for you as well. All right. Good evening. Yes, guys. Can, good you, e- yes, guys, can you hear me? Good evening. Yes, I can now. Good evening and welcome to golf talk live. You're on with Barry Goldstein. Uh, hi, hi, Barry. This is, this is Greg Woodward, your friend on Facebook. I uh, just wanted to, wanted to, first of all, um, th- thanks for letting me know about your sh- you being on the show tonight. Um, uh, also too, I, uh, I currently live near the campus of Coastal Carolina University, so, uh, so definitely I would uh, I would encourage your, uh, your player uh, to to definitely take a good a good look at the program. Uh, right now, we cu- we currently have uh, have 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 an, an interim head coach here, but but the athletic staff is is, is great here. We have a, and, and they have excellent facilities here 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 as well. Um, Barry, my question for you tonight would be. Um, I've been, as I've discussed with with you before, I've been been uh, helping to plan a lot of different tournaments um, on on the women's side of the game. Especially, I've done a lot of work with the LPGA and Symmetric Tours. But for those players who 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 aren't able to play at the Symmetric Tour level, if you go one level below that, you have the Sun Coast 
You have the Suncoast Tour. Um, I'm really getting a lot of rejections from clubs saying it's not going to bring bring in the profits to to host a minor league women's tournament there. Um, what, what would you think? What kind of advice would you give me uh, to 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 try to encourage clubs clubs you, you know to be able to bring in uh, allow these tournaments to happen there at those clubs and 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 how they can and how I can better advertise by, by talking about the players of tomorrow in the women's game. Well, That's a great thanks question, for calling Greg. In, yeah, thanks for calling in, and it's great to speak to you and. I'm sure Chance just heard your advice about uh, Coastal Carolina. I guess the angle that I would approach, those girls at the Symmetric Tour are future LPGA stars. Those girls are the future. They're the future. You're going to see a lot of them making a lot of money on the LPGA Tour over the next several years. So maybe the way you can market it and, and approach these clubs, hey, you're going to have the future LPGA Tour stars here. There's a lot of people that are interested in women's golf like you. And Craig Locke, who was just on, and myself, who's got a daughter that's a world-class player, I would try to promote it as those players are the future of female LPGA Tour, just like the Web.com Tour is the future of the PGA Tour. A lot of guys, gosh, a lot of great players started on the Web.com Tour. So I would try that, Greg. I would try to approach it with, you're missing the boat. You've got a chance to get some of these people before they're stars. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will definitely continue to do that. Thanks for having me on, guys. You have a good night. Our All right. Thank you, Greg. Nice Thanks, Greg, for your call. Thanks. You know, uh, Barry raised a very interesting uh, but unsettling point. You know, the, as we were talking about here a few moments ago, you know, women have really gravitated, have started to gravitate to golf. And it's really a shame that there are still some organizations out there that are not uh, – you know, women friendly when it comes to golf. And I, and I foresee in the future that if they don't change um, their approach to it, um, they're not going to be around too much longer. Well said, Ted. I'll just leave it with what you said. As the, again, <laughs> as the father of a daughter that is a hugely talented player and a great kid and a great person, an attractive girl, she's got all that stuff and they're missing the boat. So, uh, you know, right. at times, at times, even to go in another route, I'll watch the PGA Tour, and I get turned off sometimes. They're so coddled. They're so spoiled. I didn't see any women turning down the Olympics. I saw a lot of men turning down the Olympics. Uh, yeah. I just think that the men are very coddled. The women are very fan-friendly. The women are very interactive. So I'll just leave it with how you said it. That was a great comment. Yeah, I agree. Um, Barry, the lines are, are lighting up here, so I'm going to bring on uh, another uh, uh, caller here, and, and we'll uh, we'll continue the conversation. Sure. Hi, good hi, good evening, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. You're on with Barry Goldstein. How you doing? My name is Kyle Hanslick. I'm sorry. What was I'm the name? From Kyle Hanslick. I'm from Endicott, New York. Oh, hey, kiddo. How you doing? Pretty good. How about yourself? I saw your uh, Facebook post. A beautiful 36 yesterday. I saw your score in the news for way to go for nine holes, buddy. Thank you very much. It was even far. I was very thrilled. You're very welcome. And I saw you played against one of my other students, uh, Dougie. So I'm proud of you. That was a great score. He played at Enjoy Golf Course, former PGA Tour home, which is now home of the Dicks Open right here in my hometown. And 36 on that golf course is something to brag about because it's very tight. It's good, wow. good to hear from you. What can I help you with? I was wondering, um, I wanted uh, a few tips on a uh, mental game. 
on the mental it's funny. game. funny. Having watched you played and knowing your game, you have a very nice golf swing. I would work on mental game more than full swing, and I think you need to have a little more – sword I'm looking for. A little, be a little quieter verbally. When you hit a bad shot, you like to let everybody know you hit a bad shot. We already saw you hit a bad shot. You don't need to tell us. We <laughs> You're a very talented player. You're very talented. You're long. What I would try to do if I was you is when you make one poor swing, you need to leave it behind. And I saw a day where you made a poor swing and you let it carry over into the rest of your game. And, you know, you were very verbal about it. You were letting everybody know you're better than that. And I know you're better than that. But mm-hmm. I would rather you kept that inside. I always said to my daughter, who's a great player, somebody to know if you're four under par or four over par by watching. I want you to always stay level and be the same whether you're playing great or whether you're playing poor. I think yep. when you're playing, I think when you're playing great, you probably are in a great mood. You're smiling. Everything's good. But when you start to struggle, you speed up. You get a little more verbal. And if I was you, I would have, I'll give you a little trick that you can use. When you hit a bad golf shot, I learned this from a great, great mental teacher, Dr. Bob Rotella. He's probably the legend of mental game. Try this the next time you hit a bad golf shot. You've got the five-step rule. For five (laughs) steps, you can go ahead and be upset. When you hit your sixth step, leave it right there and move forward and only concentrate on your next shot, which you expect to be a great shot. That's how I would approach it if I was your coach. What I do with my daughter, she's human. If she hits a bad golf shot, you know, for five mm-hmm. steps, we'll talk about it. And when we hit that sixth step, we leave it behind, and it's, it's done. And we won't talk about it again until maybe the next day or after the round. It's over with. And you've mm-hmm. got to get a little better at that. You're a very talented player and a very nice young guy. I think that could help you a lot. Thank you very much. It's my right, pleasure. I'll see you soon. All right, All right great question, Kyle, and, and, and good luck. All right, thank you very much. You're welcome. Bye now. Okay, uh, Barry, we've got, we got a few more callers here, so let's just keep going down the list. How's that? That's my pleasure. It's kind of like when I'm on Golf, Camp, Golf Channel doing Academy Live. Everybody used to call in. I love it. No problem. <laughs> All right. Good evening, and sorry for uh, keeping you waiting. Uh, welcome to Golf Talk Live. You have a question for Barry. Yes, I do have a question for Barry. Well, we're we're listening. Well, Go ahead. Well, first of all, I have Coach Barry as my coach because I've had him before, and we worked on this? my drive. Who is this? Who are we speaking with? Daniel Scatero. Hey, Daniel, how are you, kiddo? Good. I, I be, need to ask you a question. You ask me a question, and I'll be seeing you in about two weeks back in Florida. I know your dad's bringing you for lessons, so I'll see you then. Fire away. I want to help you. Go ahead. I need a tip for my dryer because it's still not working. Tell me about it. Give me what is it doing? Is it going right, left, high, low? What's it doing? Low and left. Worst shot you can hit, okay? I know what's causing that. I want you to feel like when you take it away, I want you to stop halfway back and look at the club face. You're going to see that it's a little closed and looking down at the ground. It's a little bit hooded. I want you to make sure when you take it away and you stop hip high 
that the toe of the club is pointing up in the air. So it's square or pointing skyward. You get the club closed, and that's why you fight that low left shot. So I want you to really work on halfway back, checking your club face, and making sure the toe is pointed up in the air. Do that tomorrow, and I know you'll stop hitting that low left shot. And when I come home, it's going to be the first thing I look at. All right, I have good news for you, Coach. Fire away. I shortened the swing up by a lot. Way to go, kiddo. You're no longer like John Daly, three feet past parallel. (laughs) I'm not even close. I'm proud of you. You tell your dad I said good job, and I'll be seeing you probably two weeks from right now. I'll be home, so I look forward to it. Super nice kid. I really want to help you. I want to help you win a district and regional championship down there, so I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good, Coach. I'll see you in two weeks. Thanks for calling, kiddo. Thank you for calling in, Daniel. Uh, Barry, we're just going to keep going down the list because they keep calling in, so let's just bring uh, another one on the show. Sure. Good, e- good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. You're on with Barry Goldstein. Hi. Hi, good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. Hello? I might have lost that. Oh, hi. Welcome. You're on with uh, Barry Goldstein. Do you have a question for Barry? Yeah, hey, Barry. Jeff Ofterhide here. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Good, man. I just wanted to uh, give you a call and let you know we're real excited about getting to know you over the next couple uh, months and excited to see you here in about a week, week and a half when we get together. My big question is, how do you keep... uh... Go ahead, fire away. How do you keep uh, your junior and college students, how do you keep them uh, uh, from getting kind of the same as a previous caller, I guess, but keep them positive and and confident in their own abilities when they're not seeing the results that, uh, you know, they feel and the people around them feel that maybe they should be seeing. Well, first of all, Jeff, that's a great question, and I look forward to teaching your daughter very shortly on my drive home. I'm stopping in North Carolina, Ted, to coach his daughter, and that question he just asked, that question he just asked will make the difference between somebody that is a good player and somebody that becomes a great player. Um, right. I think – I think really good players and coaches, Jeff, always are looking, the next golf shot's going to be great, your next round is going to be better than your last round, and it's got to be a positive look. It's got to be that, hey, we might have struggled today, maybe we played bad today. Tomorrow is another day, we're going to play better. And what I try to do with my students to answer your question, first of all, I try to teach them, I try to teach them in a very upbeat way, and for example, I'll just give you an example with my daughter. Ever since she was a little girl, I always told her she was the best putter I ever saw. Well, she grew up believing she was the best putter I ever saw, and she made everything as a junior, and she won everything. And I think she really believed she was the greatest putter in the world, and I want that. And so, for example, Jeff, with your daughter, if she's struggling, rather than point out what she's doing wrong, I'll pick something that she's doing right and build on it and build on it. I want her to feel like she's good at something, and you've got to find a part of the game that she is excelling at and brag about it. And then work on her weaknesses. I, I'm huge on working on weaknesses. Like if a player can't hit a lob wedge over a bunker, <clears throat> you're never going to be a great player. So eventually I'll address that. But if she's great at hitting a chip shot from off the green stiff, I'll tell her what a great chipper she is. And we could build her game and her confidence around that. You've got to 
you know, with daughters in particular, Jeff, they're very easily, you can easily break their spirit. And I like try to keep my daughter's spirit golden and positive and, and in a great, great look at herself. I want her to see herself as a winner. And she won 102 golf tournaments so far, so yeah. it's not too hard to do. But, um, Jeff, what I would do is she's struggling and she's not getting the results you all expect her to get. Start focusing on the things she is doing right. Brag on it. Brag on it. Tell her how proud you are of something that she's doing right. Then address the things that she's not doing right. That's what I do yeah. with my kid. You know, Carly, you hit the most beautiful draw around those trees today to six feet. What a shot. That was a world-class iron shot. Yeah, you missed the putt. <laughs> Let's go work on your putting. But, you know, that's the way I'll approach teaching. Yeah, that's, Fantastic. that's some yeah, that's some great advice, Bear. I like that. Uh, and and Jeff, uh, I think uh, you're going to have uh, over the next few months working with Barry. I, I think you're going to see some great results. Jeff, let me say one other thing. Let me just say one other thing that I know is factual, and I believe maybe 0.5 percent of golf teachers even have a clue about this. But I teach confidence. Like I am very good at getting my students to perform when it matters. I don't care how they play in their practice round. I don't care how they play goofing around with their friends on Sunday. I care how they play when the light goes on. And I think I'm really good at getting them to perform at their highest level as often as possible. And a lot of that is confidence. A lot of it. Well said. Yeah. Well said. Jeff, yeah. I want to thank you for yeah. I want to thank you for calling in and, and uh, speaking with us and sharing uh, uh, your question with us. I'm, I got to take another call, but uh, thank you and, and good luck and, and uh, much continued success. Yes, yeah, sir. Thank you and thank you, Barry. You My pleasure. Thank you. All right, Barry. We have got another caller, so let's bring them. They've been waiting patiently as well. Hi. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. You're on with Barry Goldstein. Hi, guys. This is Rick. I'm calling you from uh, Innisbrook, Florida, not too far from where you guys are, where Barry is, but a uh, big golf area up here. Beautiful area. I've played there, and I've actually coached a girl in, uh, in a state tournament there. It's a beautiful golf course. How are you, Rick? I'm hanging in there. I'm, I'm glad you said you had a daughter because I, I have a couple of quick questions in regards to the recruiting process that I've been through with my son when it was for college football Golf, a whole different animal. Now, you said your daughter has had a lot of success. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how old she is. Uh, you said something like 122 tournaments. Is, is she still a, a high school student, or is she now in the collegiate level? Rick, she plays for the LSU Tigers. She just started her senior year. And, um, she, yeah, she's got 102 victories, played in a lot of golf tournaments, and uh, has had a lot of success as a junior and an amateur. Has played in the U.S. Amateur and Came, I think she came in 21st in stroke play, and her match was on national TV, which is really cool. And, uh, yes, I have a daughter, and she's 21 years old now, unbelievably to me, but that's how old she is. Mm, fantastic. Well, and I guess the questions that I have real quick is, uh, at what age mm. playing golf did she start developing tits, and how old was she when she forgot her first black cock? Was she sexually active younger or older? What an idiot. What an idiot that guy is. Wow, takes uh, all kinds, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't have time for that. I, no, I, we don't. You know, I'd, heard, loved, I'd love to wrap a one iron around his head. I really would. You know, that's just crazy. But anyways, I apologize to the listeners for for that. We don't, we don't have time for nonsense like that. Um, Barry, let let me just ask you though. Um, 
just for, for those that are tuning in that want to um, maybe prepare their, their students that maybe to go uh, play in a college and that you gave some great advice to some of the, um, some of the other listeners and that, but uh, what, what should a parent be looking for uh, if they've got a, a youngster that has been playing golf for a while and has an interest, what are some of the things that you would advise them? Yeah. The first thing, um, you know, with guys, I teach a lot of guys that are good players and with boys, there's a lot of really good players. And I think what separates the guys that are going to play Division One college, Division Two college, or even Division Three college, their work ethic. They love it. They want to go to the golf course. It's not their parents making them go. With boys, I would say 99% of the boys I teach, they're there because they want to be there. It has nothing to do with their parents bringing them. On the girls' side, sometimes I see the parents pushing and the parents want them there and they're good kids, so they listen to their mom and dad, and that's why they're there. And some of them become very good players. But if you don't love it, if the kid doesn't love it and it isn't something that they want to do, I don't care how good the coach is. I don't care how good the kid is. It's going to bottom out. They've got to love it. It's got to be a passion of theirs. Like that boy, Dan, that just called in two calls ago. Yeah. He loves it. And, and he's getting better and he's hungry and he wants to keep moving forward. Those are the things I look for. And I think college coaches, that's what they look for. They don't want to babysit a kid for four years. They don't want a little spoiled brat. They want somebody that has some character. And then when they struggle, they're not crying and whining about it. They fight their way back and they play good. I think that is exactly what college coaches look for. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, one of the, uh, I guess the criticisms that I would have that I've seen with, with um, you know, some of the, the youngsters that are wanting to play golf is, um, and we've seen examples, you know, through the professional ranks, as well as in the amateur ranks, but you see a lot of parents that sort of impose their um, will, if you will, on the kids and don't really let them sort of come to them. Do you know what I mean? Like I think sometimes the parents get too, uh, too pushy and I think the kids have to want it themselves. Not, it's not what the parents want. It's what the kids want. Well, yeah, I remember once I was on the golf channel, I was on national TV and a woman, a person called in, and said that, and she was pushing her kid, pushing her kid. Right. Of course, the kid quit. The kid quit, you know, and and it hurt the mother. And she said he was so good. And I said he had to be playing because he liked it, though, not because you liked it. And right, you know, if somebody, if somebody doesn't love it, don't push them to play because it's just gonna, in the long run, it's just gonna fall apart. If they love it, I can help them. College coaches can help them. But if somebody doesn't love golf, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't push him into it. It's just a bad, it'd be like pushing a kid to play little league baseball and he never yep. gets good and he just quits and he dislikes it. So you got to have a kid that loves it. And like that kid, Dan, that just called or Kyle mm -hmm. or chance. Those kids love it. They love it. You know, yeah. they'll do anything their coach asks them to do because they want to get better. That's what you need. Yeah. And, and you know, those are the kids that, that you can't get them off the range or off the golf course because they do love it so much. And, and that's really what you want. You want them to be passionate about it. Um, what about downtime, you know, away from the golf course? And I'm referring to Carly Ray now. Um, mm -hmm. You know, obviously she played, you know, she played com competitive golf and she played a lot, um, you know, as a junior in that. But um, she also had to decompress a little bit too. Um, did you have to, you know, get her to say, okay, let's put the clubs down. Let's just go and have some fun. Um, did you leave that up to her or did you sometimes – you know what what I mean? Awesome question. You're touching on everything that's important to me. What I do 
All right, I'll, I'll give you an honest answer. I think my daughter has de- dealt with a little burnout at the college level. You know, um, yeah. when she was, when I was in charge of her, a hundred percent, she played no more than twenty four, twenty five days a month. That's it. And yeah. if she had a tournament coming up, we'd work our tail off. She'd play the tournament. She usually won it. And when the tournament was done, we turned off. She didn't touch the club again until Tuesday, Wednesday, thir- usually Wednesday or Thursday. At college, yeah. it's nonstop. It's just nonstop, 100%. You go, go, go. You know, you're there on a full ride, and I believe she has <clears> dealt <throat> with some burnout, and it's taken a little bit of the fun out of the game at times for her. I'm very yeah. big on downtime, and I'm also a huge – whenever I take Carly to a tournament, we do sightseeing. Like, for example, sure. when we went to the U.S. Amateur, we went to a New York Yankees game. We went to Fifth Avenue. When we were in Seattle for the Publinks, I took her to every single site in Seattle, you know. We're not all golf. That will get old really fast. And I'm big on downtime. I'm big on let's work hard and let's turn off. Let's prepare for a tournament, give it 1,000%, and then let's just turn off and decompress and forget about golf for two, three days. Go be with your friends. Go do things that you weren't doing, and we'll start back up Wednesday or Thursday. I'm big on that. Yeah, I think it's important. And and the reason why I ask that is, you know, I I hear quite often – you know, from a lot of folks where, you know, the, 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 the kids either get burnt out or they, they just lose interest in playing because they're just pushed too hard, especially at the younger age. Um, you know, they're not quite mentally there yet. Um, you know, they've made a decision. They're interested in playing golf. They want to go out there, but they also want to be able to just go out and have some fun too. And I think sometimes it's kind of like the old, you know, the, the soccer dad on the sideline, you know, he's running up and down the field with his kid and he's, you know, shouting out, Uh, all kinds of things to get the kids and 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 it's good to be encouraging like you said but at the same time you've got to be also willing to back off a little bit and just let them um sometimes even get away from the game it might be a couple of weeks if if that's what they want to do if they really enjoy it and are passionate about it they're going to engage very quickly and like i said you'll have a hard time dragging them off the golf course at times but you have to have a balance i think is is key um and i think you've done that very well with carly ray Thank you, Ted. Yeah, I'd say what you just said is very, very accurate. You got to get away from it. It'll burn you out. Barry, uh, we just got a few moments left, and then we, we've got to uh, we've got to uh, move on. But um, any final closing thoughts? Uh, closing thoughts, excuse me, that you'd like to share with uh, with the listeners out there, and then let the folks know uh, what you're going to be doing in the next little bit. Gosh, no, it's just a pleasure having all these people call in, you know, and a lot of good people and a lot of good students. And um, I just think in general, you got to have fun with it. It's a great game. I love what I do for a living. And I love teaching all these kind of people that just called in that they're just looking to get good and looking to get better. And they want to play at a high level. And I think that's what I do. I help them do that. And, um, yeah, I'm in my hometown, nicest people in the world. I'm here in upstate New York for the next nine days. I've been up here since April, had a ton of golf lessons this summer. And then I'm just – I'm going to take my time, drive back to Florida. I'm stopping in Virginia to coach Chance, who called in for three days. Then I'm going to teach Jeff's daughter in North Carolina on the way home for part of a day. And then I'll be teaching back on my home course in Verity Country Club in Fort Lauderdale, starting probably about October 5th. And I'll just be there the rest of the year. And I'll probably teach there right through next April. And I might come back up here next summer. We'll have to see what Carly's plans are. But, uh, you know, in general, having a great time with it. Got a lot of really good students and it's just fun doing it. You know, I really enjoy it. Yeah. It, it, you know, that's one of the joys of of this profession. I mean, there's very few professions out there that you can, you know, really have as as much fun as you can. Uh, You know, you see the best of both worlds. 
you know, you enjoy uh, the two things. I mean, you get to see some great scenery, of course, but you get to help some people as well. And that's, uh, I think, one of the best parts of being a golf instructor is, is out there helping people um, not just get better at the game, but, but find a little of themselves out in the golf course. For sure. I've got a rare job where they actually write you the check and thank you at the same time. It's kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> it certainly <laughs> not is. Many people, not many people have that. No, that's that's true. Um, well, Barry, I want to thank yeah, I want to thank you very much for coming on Golf Talk Live tonight. Uh, some great calls and and uh, enjoyed uh, getting caught up with with uh, Carly Ray on what's been happening in her world and uh, really a message to her and tell her good luck in her senior year and uh, and I'm going to have you guys back on when you're ready to uh, maybe share a little bit of of what she's going to be doing in the future. Our pleasure, Ted. It's my pleasure to always come on. You're a good guy, and I, I enjoy doing it. It's kind of like doing the TV show on the Golf Channel, but instead it's on the radio. So anytime, Ted, you stay in touch, and when you when you want me to come on, just let me know. When you want Carly and I on, just let us know. Sounds good. Uh, Barry Goldstein, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for spending time on Golf Talk Live tonight. Thanks, Barry. Pleasure, Ted. You're welcome. Bye-bye now. All right, bye-bye. All right, it was a great, uh, a great segment with Barry, and uh, appreciate uh, all the callers calling in and, and uh, some great questions. And hopefully, as I'm sure Barry was able to uh, to help and answer some of the questions. And uh, for those of you that have the honor and privilege of working uh, with Mr. Barry Goldstein, you've got uh, a great, uh, a great pro there for sure. Um, and also a special thank you to my uh, two gentlemen that were on the Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier on, Paul Castor and Anthony Brooks. Uh, thank you guys for doing a phenomenal job on the Coach's Corner panel a little bit earlier on. And uh, thank you for all of the listeners out there for faithfully tuning in each and every week uh, to the show. And uh, I hope you got some good tips tonight. And I hope you had a uh, – for those of you maybe got some uh, some teens or some younger uh, golfers out there that uh, are looking at maybe uh, pursuing through the ranks and maybe playing some, uh, some college uh, golf or, or maybe beyond – I hope Barry was able to answer some of the questions that you may have had. And if not, uh, you're certainly welcome to reach out to, uh, uh, to Barry Goldstein. You can find him all through social media. He's not hard to find. Uh, some great advice and a great dad as well. So, uh, again, thanks to all the listeners for faithfully tuning in from literally all around the world uh, to Golf Talk Live each and every week. I certainly, as I mentioned many, many times in the past, have a great amount of pleasure and enjoyment of uh, having a number of highly talented coaches, teacher professionals, authors, and um, entrepreneurs stop by and it's really through their participation and guest appearances that have helped to make Golf Talk Live a first-class show. A special thank you to some of the sponsors and supporters of the program, Mr. Jonathan Laird uh, from South Coast Golf Guide. Uh, go to southcoastgolfguide.com, and uh, you can get a, a look at the publication there as well, uh, or you can request a copy be sent out to you. Go to southcoastgolfguide.com. Also, Meredith Kirk uh, from Meredith Kirk Golf. Uh, she was on the show here a few weeks back, and she's also, the former Mrs. South Carolina in 2014, a great uh, golf pro herself and up in the Myrtle Beach area. Uh, Nikki and Tiffany Litherlin, thank you for all of uh, your help in spreading the word as well. Nikki, of course, is a golf professional. Uh, Mr. Bernie Pinder from Ontic Golf. He's the owner and founder of Ontic Golf, a great line of customized putters. Uh, go to ontickgolf.com and get your customized uh, putter sent and shipped out to you as well. A uh, great Christmas gift. We got uh, Christmas coming up in a few months. So for those of you that want to treat yourself, go to onticgolf.com and get a great uh, putter. Uh, also, Sean Kelly, uh, owner of linkedgolfers.com, a great uh, group that was on LinkedIn. It still is actually a great golf group, one of the largest uh, on LinkedIn, which is a major social um, uh, media network. 
Uh, he's got a great website as well, linkedgolfers.com, so make sure you check it out. And, of course, my good buddy, Mr. Peter Doyle from Doyle Golf Solutions uh, over in Ireland, a great club fitter and uh, also teach profession as well. Thank you, Peter, for all of your continued support of the program. Uh, I will see you guys next week uh, right here in Golf Talk Live. Thanks, everybody, and God bless.